What's up, everybody? Welcome to Movie Schmovie. This is episode 189, which, uh, which John has confirmed for me uh, on the, our, our very easy-to-use and wonderful Podbean site slash app. Uh, I'm looking... At- I'm looking at it right now, and I'm seeing our last episode was, in fact, episode 188.5, which was our tangent about uh, Netflix and the summer movie season and all that. So, yes, this would be 189. We've got a confirmation on that, Captain. You go right ahead with that intro. Wonderful. Then we are good to go. And uh, if you can't tell, this is this is one of those beautiful phoner episodes where we try to get this podcast out to be timely and uh, relevant because and we know that everybody is very excited for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And, oh, yeah. Uh, myself, Ronald, who you just heard, and John are, uh, yes. are getting, getting the crew together to talk about it. So um, this episode, we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which comes out today or last night if you went and saw it in theaters mm. like a diehard would. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's get down to it. What, what, where, where should we start? Where, where do we start with this one, guys? Uh, maybe our expectations. What, what, what were we expecting? <laughs> like, there's a combination of things going on here. There's the whole Marvel franchise thing, which this doesn't really do anything to inch forward. It's it's its own kind of self-contained film in the, much the same way that the first one was. Uh, but it does it does have to sort of answer that question of what is a sequel to a movie that was fresh and felt unique. How are you going to? sequelize that are you going to try to do more of the same and just repeat the success of the first or are you going to try to do something a little different right what do you, what do you think james gunn did <laughs> um, i think i think i think in a nutshell at least my my immediate hot take is that you know basically what they're aware of in terms of everything that worked really well in the first one um because of the expectations of what guardians of the galaxy volume one or the first one was like i don't know that there was well, I think we can all agree that there they were there was a lot of curiosity about it, but I don't know that the expectations were um, anywhere near what the film ended up being to a lot of people. It was one of those cases where where people where the word of mouth was so incredibly strong that people who don't normally go see quote unquote that type of film were going out to see it, and I think you felt that wave of suddenly these characters sort of became not quite household names, but they were in that zone of you know Groot at least sure is sort of a a known quantity just in the culture so I do think it went from nothing to something pretty fast right and I think that those the fact that it was more curiosity than like true blockbuster Marvel expectations I think that it's like you know you can kind of tap in or they kind of zoned in on what really worked whether it was like you know how Groot kind of made his way into like pop culture maybe more surprisingly than any other marvel character has in terms of like merchandising and just pop relevance um in in this in this recent iteration of the cinematic universe but like i think they really just kind of zoned in and and focused on all those things that they could really quantify or like touch and feel and could could get a reaction out of a crowd and really just amped it all up i mean i think that was my expectation and i kind of think like that's what I expected of the movie, even like even though I, I you know, Guardians One is is one of, if not my favorite Marvel movie. And um a lot of that's because of like what you said, John, was like I was more curious about it because as many times as we've talked about that film, like the thing for me was that like I knew nothing about anything about a movie, you know, like at all. And, you know, those characters in that world and everything. So it was it was a real experience to learn about it all 
without comparing it against anything and just being completely wowed by it. Um, so I think, you know, going into this one, my expectation is really just that they're, they're aware of what they have now or that they should be aware of what they have now with this property. And, uh, you know, I kind of expected it just to kind of be pumped up all around. What about you, Ronald? Um, well, I knew that some of the conflict of the first one was that they were just meeting for the first time. And even with that said, they had a lot of chemistry. Now, you know, they're, they've been around each other for a little bit. So I was expecting um, some of the chemistry to be a little heavier and funnier and them to know each other's quirks a little better. Um, and also, it's an interesting thing that I was thinking about. This is the first movie that has to connect, has to connect to the world in a different way than the first one did. And Guardians has a tendency to do it with a little dignity. And I was wondering if it was going to maintain the dignity that it had of the first one and bring that over to the second one, but still connect to the the Marvel Universe, but a little better. Because the, the, the first one felt completely standalone. This one had the task of not necessarily being standalone the same way, but also lend itself to the world. And it kind of had to because something's happening very soon. The the next Captain America, the next Avengers, all the, the whatever's happening next has to connect to this world. And I think it did a good job of doing all that stuff too. But that was my expectation. So Yeah, I think for me it was a lot of similar to what you guys have said, you know, trying to be realistic about it's not going to have the same sort of shock of discovery um that the first one did. And then kind of coming back with a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence to try to do something else, knowing that people are waiting for it. Um, I think that takes a different sort of skill. And I think that um, in the case of James Gunn, who, unless most people listening to this probably know, he's the kind of the auteur, if there is one, behind these films. He's the sole writer and director of this movie. And I think that's the first time that's happened with a Marvel movie. Even on the first one, he had a co-writer on the screenplay, or at least he worked from someone else's screenplay when he came in as director. Um, So I think that, to me, the fact that it was a James Gunn film gave it a lot of what I expected from it, which is he never really lets things off completely easy. He always wants there to be some kind of emotional um, impact and for there to be some kind of intense experience. And he doesn't shy away from things happening, you know, that you might not expect. And he doesn't mind people being mad at each other and people being mean to each other and people, you know, <laughs> like some people having bad luck. And, and sometimes be- the bad things happening can be funny and all of those things. So I guess I what you're saying, Steve, about thinking it might be just kind of amped up. Um, that's what I was thinking was he's going to take the freedom of being James Gunn that worked for him on the first one and roll it forward into almost with more confidence and more swagger saying, okay, you want to come into this world, this, this James Gunn world? Cause that movie is just purely, there's so many elements to it that, that are, are him and come from his personality. And I think it's so deeply felt. And I, that's kind of what I expected going in was that there was going to be some aspect to it of this filmmaker who's, who's pretty good at sort of yanking us along Again, if you like these films, he sort of knew where we were coming in and he knew he had us from the first scene. And so he plays around a little bit with the relationships and he plays around a bit with who you're sympathetic towards and who seems nice and who seems not so nice. And 
I just think he's very skilled at that. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's what I was looking forward to. And that's what I felt like I got was, um, some of his humor, some of his character development, which is always somewhat sincere and somewhat snarky, uh, but in a way that's different from a lot of other folks. Well, let me ask you guys a question. I guess since we always, it's, it's obvious that we liked it. What were some things about it that you didn't like? Was there anything about the movie that you felt kind of weird about? Anything that you didn't like about the second one versus the first one? I mean, something that stood out to me, and I, I kind of was like curious if you guys kind of picked up on any of these. I, I wish I would have written more down. But something about some of the edits, uh, like some of the editing, like some of the cut from scene to scene, some of them felt really kind of, there was a few that felt really like disjointed to me. And one of them that stands out, there's a scene where I think uh, Kurt Russell's ego character and um, Peter Quill are like having a conversation and he makes a comment about, um, you know, like, then, then why didn't you, why did you leave my mother? And, and it was really weird. Like it just cut from that question to another scene. Like I, I felt there was like two or three times in the movie where some of the cuts just felt really abrupt. Like, I don't know if it got, you know, re I don't know, just something felt really disjointed to me about a handful of scenes um, like even including the initial, uh, you know, when you, when we, when we, when we revisit like Yondu and like, he has this like kind of run in with the, uh, with the Sly Stone character, like the scene, that scene just feels like it just ended really abruptly. Like a few, I guess that's what it is. A few of the scenes to me just felt like really quick cut and like ended abruptly where I was expecting like a conversation or a plot point to be a little more developed or like I was just expecting more from a scene, um, I don't know. Did did that play at all to either of you? Did did either of you feel that at all? Or, well, that scene in particular, I remember the ego scene. Um, I distinctly remember that. Um, and then there was one with uh, Drac that I, I thought was really weird, where he said something, and then it just cut to. It was just like things like that. But yeah, there there is there is one with yeah yeah there was one with him. I think when he's talking to Mantis or something. Yeah, that was a huge one where he said something, and then it was like, what 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 was that supposed to be? And I don't know if that was like supposed to be like a comedic beat or something like that that just fell flat. Um, well, that was one, and I felt like the storyline with the gold lady felt like it didn't belong in the movie. Or, or the way that they wove it into the story, I didn't know if it felt strong enough to exist in the story. Um, but I, I thought the characters were cool. I felt like they either should have fleshed them out or should have just not had them at all. I feel like I should have known more about the, the gold sort of kingdom or whatever they were. Um, I, I didn't know much, and I felt like they didn't really dive into that very much and they showed them just to fight and then they just kind of disappeared and you knew that the the lady was kind of snarky and uh had her nose up to people but you kind of didn't get much beyond that so that's my only complaint i think the rest of it was solid though i thought it was it, it had a lot to it but those two things i guess i noticed that a lot and then the 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 storyline with the gold people just didn't feel strong enough. Yeah, the, like the what was her name? Like Ayesha or Aisha or something. Ayesha right? and yeah. the sovereign people. The sovereign, right? Well, see, I felt like those characters were 
I mean, I didn't have that problem with it. I felt like the, the tossed off nature of just here is another kind of adversary that is also on their tail, but that is clearly not the main thrust of the story. Um, to me, that just felt like fun. And I liked, I mean, you know, they're gold and they are haughty and they remote control their spaceships like they're playing a video game. I felt like that right. to me was enough to enjoy their presence in the movie and to enjoy the idea that this is the way this, you know, seemingly powerful alien race does things. Obviously, um, there may be some attempt to sort of tie that, uh, those characters into future stories you don't know i mean i don't know anything about those characters i don't have any association with them from the comics so to me as far as just a a type of foe for the guardians of the galaxy to take on in that kind of the movie starts and they're already entangled with them kind of way sure um to me it fit the bill and and i think the movie moved through so many ideas and so many plots and so many character arcs that i think it actually handled very well. I think that one thing you can say about this film is that all of the main characters got a pretty good showing in terms of something to do that's kind of interesting, that affects the overall story, but it was a personal trip. Everybody got a little something. And if some of that stuff was handled a little bit better than others, and some of it was a little more obvious than others, and some lines that obviously were supposed to make you laugh just kind of sat there, and some lines that were supposed to be emotional were a little overdramatic or something i think within all of that there was so much stuff to love that if i were to say that there's anything that if i were just going to criticize anything about it it would be hard for me to say this is really a huge criticism but i I remember just kind of feeling overwhelmed by it that there was so much to it and so much going on that um you know the the other marvel movie that it made me think of the most in terms of what it's trying to do and in terms of the way that it's a very personal statement from a a writer director um is actually age of ultron another movie that tried to follow up a huge smash with giving nine characters a story you know and a lot of people walked out of that movie saying there there was no story um but the attempt to make the villain a very personal reflection of what the hero is going through, you know? Yeah. Um, and then to kind of take each character off in their own sort of emotional arc. I think that this movie actually structurally has a lot in common with that movie. And then, of course, I would say pulls it off a lot better and is, is a lot more fun. But I do think it, it is maybe trying to do too much. Uh, but I but I can't criticize it when I when I think that so many of those elements were were fun. Like you've, the, there was nothing to me that felt particularly generic or default setting or unimagined about it. It felt like there was so much going on in the details and um, you know just the character stuff. I think the main thing was the the way that it sort of slows down and becomes this chatty philosophical movie in the middle. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I wonder how audiences are going to respond to this film uh, by and large. I don't think it's going to have the same sort of swell of of mass support that the first one did, but I'm not saying that I necessarily share that feeling. I just wonder if it's a little a little too weird because it is kind of a strange film, and I really actually want to... I kind of appreciate James Gunn for loving these characters and making a strange film about them, you know, that really digs into their emotions. Because what do you do in your second film if you're not going to top yourself? I think you just go deeper. And I, I I would argue that each one of the characters got got deeper in this film, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I definitely think they fleshed out each character a little more. Um, you know, I, and I think if they would have followed the same model as the first one, they would have kind of been caricatures, you know, but right, them deepen them diving deeper into these characters makes you kind of understand them more. Um, I feel like 
each character had some dimension to them, which was cool because I, 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 that's what I was expecting. And it, and it came through on that front. So, I mean, even with the, the gold story, not, uh, the, the sovereign uh, people being kind of a shallow sort of deal, it still didn't take away from the all around quality of the movie. So um, it just it felt even even the smaller characters I loved, even the enemies, you know, I was like everything about this movie mm-hmm. was, was cool despite even the shortcomings with kind of having a lot of people on the screen at the same time, it still felt very fun and, and intimate kind of in a way, you know, when they were in the ship together, it felt like we were in the ship too, which is something that all sci-fi movies don't pull off very well. And they, they capture this, sort of letting your hair down feeling that you get when you're in a place with people you love that I don't think that too many movies capture. So I enjoyed that a lot. Should have been more fighting, though. That was another complaint. There should have been some (laughs) hand-to-hand. I feel like there should have been more hand-to-hand combat, but I liked what it was. Mm -hmm. It was a bigger – it was like a – it was a – it was a – it became a space movie more, more than the last one did. The scope of it was a lot bigger. And I, and I think that was a good thing. I think it's a good thing. But I, w- I would have loved to see them kick some more ass hand-to-hand. So. Yeah, I think that one of the things that works really well with this, uh, when you have like five, is it five? Central characters that you like really are supposed to be sold on and really care about, is that like, you know, beyond getting through the first Guardians of the Galaxy together, you know, however long after that film, this one picks up on you kind of do really get a good feeling for, um, you know, a comfort level being reached with these characters amongst one another. But even when you get comfortable with people, you are like constantly going to be still growing together and as a team and as individuals and learning more about one another. So I think, you know, Peter and Rocket's relationship, you know, just like the egos of the two of them kind of outgunning one another or trying to outdo one another. And Peter and Gamora, like just these relationships, you know, in a generic sense being fleshed out, but just more of that discovery of what these people are, or rather who these people really are that, um, you are kind of along on this ride with. I kind of feel like I would, I would mostly agree with what you were saying, John, about like each character getting, you know, a little more. I think the only thing I, I feel like the Drax and the Groot character, I mean, Groot is maybe not as, uh, eligible for this, this slight criticism, but like I, I feel like the Drax character, um, while he's great in the film and Batista is great as Drax, I feel like he, I, I didn't really feel as much, I don't know, I guess maybe growth or characterization with him. I, I feel like I just got more Drax in this movie than we got in the last film. And I mean, I think his relationship with Mantis towards the third part of the, or the third act of the film, it definitely gets a little better in terms of like, I don't know, having some sort of feeling for his character or um, beyond just like kind of laughing with him as he laughs at everybody. But I think he, (laughs) he was probably while I love that character and I kind of wish I would have seen more of like learning more about him or, or, or just, just more of a growth experience with him and one of the other guardians. Um, I, I don't feel like that was as present in this one as I was maybe expecting it to. I mean, there's plenty of development with Peter and Gamora and Nebula and and the standout to me honestly is a lot of the stuff with Rocket and Yondu is really great. I had a, I had a choice in my head of trying to decide 
whether I thought Michael Rooker or Bradley Cooper stole the show in this film as far as being like the emotional focal point of it. You're safe with either choice. But just to kick back to your thoughts about um, Drax, I would say you're right. So maybe it's wrong to say that he has an arc, but I would say that when I was thinking that each character had an arc, I guess I would extend that thought to just mean entertaining things to do on screen that are memorable. And I would say Drax is definitely, unsurprisingly, or maybe maybe surprisingly, unsurprisingly if you loved him in the first movie, but still a little surprisingly in a a movie where you have a talking raccoon and a cute baby tree, that Drax (laughs) is the comic relief, you know, is sort of a stroke of genius in a way. And Dave Bautista has like, I don't know, he's just grown into that. It's like, he was in the first one. I felt like, oh wow, he really surprised me with his with his comedic chops. Yeah, so good. And maybe the movie goes to him a, a few too many times, you know, yeah. uh, to get a laugh. But it's pretty reliable. And um, so, yeah, I would say he's entertaining, and he's around when some interesting things happen. And I think his relationship with Mantis is one of my favorite sort of comedic and emotional hooks of the movie. And it might just be evidence of the movie trying to do too much to say, okay, we can give Drax this emotional moment at the end that we've sort of earned, but not quite. But maybe the performance of uh, Palm Clementif, is that her name? Uh, I'm saying it. Yeah, I think you're close. But the actress who plays Mantis, she really does a great job of making that character work without being too infantilized and without being too uh, innocent and silly, but having this you know, wide-eyed aspect that you really do you enjoy seeing her bounce off of Drax and kind of take him as her guide, you know, into this, this outside world of people that she doesn't normally get to uh, interact with. Sure. So um, to your point, right. We did not get necessarily development for him the way that I would say we did for Gamora, Rocket and Peter. I would even say Groot doesn't really get development. He just is in a different state than we saw him last time. So it feels fresh. Yeah. Uh, He's too adorable to kill. That's the word (laughs) on the street. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great line. Of the new additions, who did you think was the best new addition to the, the 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 world of the Guardians of the Galaxy? And I guess I would include the expanded role for for Yondu. I, I would I would have to say Yondu. I mean I I, I mean I really liked Mantis a lot, um, but I think that just the the arc that Yondu gets in this film is is really good, and Rooker is so good as as that character. And I don't know. I think it's actually they did a really great job of keeping his character relevant through the whole film even when he's not on the screen because so much is happening um, in other plot points in the film that you're still thinking about things that, you know, you've heard him say, or that you've heard Peter say about him or that you've heard, or that you've seen a a shot earlier in the movie of his character saying something that, you know, feels like it has a place in a scene later in the film that you're watching where he's not even present. And I think that's really successful uh, in, in the whole the whole film, and I think he's very present in the whole movie, uh, which is uh, an obvious decision. You know, obviously James Gunn is uh, a big Michael Rooker fan, but um, that character just really had a great place in this story and in this film. And yeah, so I don't know if I if I'm picking one of the new regulars in the film i i would i would have to throw my hat into the the rooker yondu corner what about you ronald um we got but, ego we got mantis we got yondu he, i would even say craglin getting to come back and have an expanded role is is good that's the the yeah. the other uh main ravager character who is played by james gunn's his, brother sean gunn his brother who who I thought was great in this. Yeah, I think I think probably Yandu. He was the the better the best expansion. I didn't really in terms of just 
like expanding the world. Besides him, I didn't think anybody really was as great as he was. So that kind of is a trick question because I didn't really like anybody nearly as much as I liked him in the first one. And then to see him kind of fleshed out the way that he has been. And he's such a good actor. Um, It's nice to see that he's getting a chance to show his range beyond what he did on um, uh, Dead, uh, Walking Dead. Because he was great on that. Right, right. Um, so it's it's almost like it took Walking Dead to show people that he had a little bit of range. And then James Gunn is kind of opening the door. And there were parts where he was speaking that kind of got me teary-eyed. I know it's weird. But yeah, like, totally. He, 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 he has this feel to all of his characters that you kind of see his eyes and you know he's been through a lot of stuff. And it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how it even he can even admit that through blue makeup you know what i mean he could still show that range so he's got a lot of pathos in the role with this film he does man yeah and it's it's great because the first movie gives him a little moment at the end where he uh has affection for peter quill instead of being angry at him when he has uh swapped out what he thought was the infinity stone and it turned out to be the little troll doll um and you see the smile and then hearing he was coming back for this movie, it's it's it was easy to picture. Oh, they're going to build on that feeling that he wasn't so bad. And then when I heard that, you know, uh, this is all about Peter finding out who his dad is, and then we heard about who was playing his dad and and who his dad was going to be, and it was going to be a a, le- a living planet named Ego, played by <laughs> Kurt Russell, you know, with with his hair swept back. And and then I I started thinking, okay, Yondu's in this movie. I was like, oh, okay, I can see what James Gunn was talking about when he said that he had an emotional hook for this movie. Um, and I, again, back to what I was saying before about him, I just believe that he wouldn't have gone ahead with the movie that he didn't have something like that because the first movie had a real emotional hook about kind of finding, even if it's something other movies have done, it was a really good job of doing that outsiders finding each other and forming a little ad hoc family. Um, and then this movie goes full on uh, Fast and the Furious with mentioning family a couple times, you know, in a pivotal <laughs> moment. <clears throat> so one of the big surprises of the first movie was also the sort of fun of having all those sort of KTEL radio hits of the 70s and 80s songs thrust back in your face for your listening pleasure. What did you think of the way that the uh, the, the mixtape aspect played into the second one as compared to the first one? I mean, I, I, I loved it, man. It's It was really well done. I, I don't know. It it feels like this one is a little more. I don't know why these the songs in this one hit me a little harder. Maybe it's because I just like uh, like Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. It's like one of my favorite songs. Oh, I fucking love that song. Yeah, it's like a perfect it, pop song in my mind. It's such a magical song, man, and um, it makes me happy when I hear it, and. Just just the songs, how the songs were woven into it, now that you have an idea that this is going to be one of those movies with a really good soundtrack, um, now that you're informed by that, this followed through with some of the some of the my favorite songs that I just, I, I guess I didn't realize that I liked as much as I did, like Fox on the Run and, you know, just he- hearing those songs just made me happy. So, yeah, I, I think they did an incredible job. And um, even even 
ch- changing the form of media that he used. Even it, it made it even cooler. Like it just I don't know. I I liked it. Long story short, I liked it. Yeah, it's really it's really well informed like to really I think even more so in this one. It's 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 much more keyed into like the thematic moment of the movie and i think yes um like you mentioning the elo song kind of just evoking that like kind of fun carefree like pop gem like you're saying john and 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 that opening sequence with Groot just dancing as this like mayhem is happening is just like the epitome of like zoning out and just enjoying that song and i and you know just other songs throughout the movie like the cat stevens song at the end and my standouts probably uh, Fleetwood Max the Chain. I think that that song is just so uh, important to uh, just that that group of characters, you know. And I think it plays twice in the film, but the part where it plays at the end during like Peter's big revelation, and um, it just like that song at that moment. Like I I kind of like sat back in my chair and then sat up in my chair, and I was like, it just made me so much in- more engaged in that moment in the film simply by song choice. And I think that while all the songs from guardians of the galaxy, the first one, we all love it. And they were even also like hitting the right theme in this film. I think just something to me felt like it was a little more dialed in to like, and some people might say it was, it's like a little more like on the nose or a little more like heavy handed. Like, do you hear this song that's talking about what you're watching on the screen right now? Right. right. Like, yeah. I think it's so like delicately done, like and I and at this point, you, I don't feel that that's what they're doing. I feel like they're like, oh, there's this great song that we want to include in the film, and it fits into this se- sequence because it it it's informing this audience. Like you're watching and you're feeling these characters, but you're also hearing this story in this pop gem that you never thought would tie into this cosmic, you know, crazy comic book movie. And it's just, I I, fr- I freaking love it. I think it's like it's interesting to me because I mean even though these songs are sort of overplayed and a lot of people have pointed out that uh, uh, Peter's mom was a big fan of top 40 radio you know like that she you know a lot of these songs are only obscure to you if you are of a certain age or if you don't you didn't grow up listening to them on the radio most of these songs are songs that I remember hearing and they weren't songs that you had to dig too deep to get into sure. so I've heard some criticism of it in that sense but I'm going to say uh, bullshit to that because um it's sort of like the whole movie is like this piece of pop art, you know. Sure. It's it's it, the first one we commented at the time, and this was before we'd had new Star Wars, and so there was this feeling that this was like the closest thing to the feeling of Star Wars. So it was sort of derivative of that, and it kind of appropriated that space opera feel from Star Wars. Yeah. And then it got and it got some of the mythic sweep from some of these other kind of you know more uh, B movie sort of uh, sci fi films. And then it had James Gunn's background in horror and kind of schlock films kind of coming into play with some of the the humor and some of the surprising violence and stuff. And then it had this mixtape aspect that, that really elevated the the movie. And also, I would say the the themes, the Guardian theme, the score in the Guardians films are some of the more memorable pieces of score written for the Marvel movies. There's a few good themes in the, in the Guardians films. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of just elements working together. And I think that you're right. I think in the first one... It's almost like it's got cooler moments, almost in that kind of Quentin Tarantino way. It's right. like, here's a cool song while they're walking down the hallway sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, it's a little bit more, 
connected to the themes and the emotions of it. And and yeah, if it's on the nose, it's like, well, so what? Someone someone worked to make the a two hour product for you, and they wanted you to get the effect of it. Totally. So if it's on the nose, then it's on the nose because it, they you know James Gunn wants you to get what he's what he's selling. He doesn't want you to miss the point. They're crowd pleasing, and this movie is really trying to be crowd pleasing. You know, and I so and I think the second movie is a little bit more a little darker in tone, a little bit more emotional, and maybe a little more earnest. But it worked for me too. <clears throat> totally. Do you guys have any spoilerish thoughts you want to talk about that we could like get to now and give people a little warning? I, and- I don't want to. I don't want to talk the spoilers specifically, but I'll just. I mean, I, I don't even know how to delicately approach it. It's not even spoiler territory per se, but uh, just a blanket statement that the moment that I see Kurt Russell on screen in any film these days, like I, I just like immediately feel better about everything in life. Yeah. <laughs> like whether it's the young Kurt Russell from 1980 CGI'd over, you know, whatever the yeah. hell, they, however the hell they do that. Or just like the first view of him as like the grown old man ego. Like I, I just fucking love Kurt Russell. And I, I will say he in, was so good in general. Like he works so well in this universe and he's so great as that character and that character and the whole arc and the way it works into the story, I think, is actually uh, really successful and really effective. And I think it does a really good job at, um, you know, helping usher along the the one of the characters or or the or characters in this series to you know where they go from this film into the rest of however many Guardians there are or how they play into the Avengers universe as well. I enjoy Kurt, Kurt Russell. He has a a great smile. He makes he makes me happy too, man. He, it's just an energy he has totally that I, that I can tell probably made Chris Pratt hug him every after every scene. <laughs> He's like, "I'm so sorry I did that." And then they hugged each other. You could tell he just has something about him that I, it's pretty amazing. So, right. yeah, that's it. All right. Okay, folks. Well, I guess uh, watch the feed for uh, our episode in a few days where we we finally rip the the lid off of the Fast and the Furious series. But for now, if you stay on and keep listening, we'll be talking about one big spoiler, I guess, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So listen at your own peril. I just wanted to ask you guys how you think Ego stacks up against other Marvel movie villains. You know... That was one thing I was talking about with Aaron on the ride home last night, mm-hmm. and where we always talk about the you know the villain problem. Yeah, you know I think this is like one of the stronger villains in the Marvel in the Marvel universe. I think it's the best one. It I, really is, isn't it? I mean, yeah. like, because you care about everything that's happening, not only to the group that the villain's affecting, but you actually are like thinking about this villain's motives and like. The fact, and, and not only, not to mention, when you realize, like, how much of a villain he is. Oh, yeah. There's one moment. It is, like, it is, it is, is it is, yeah, it's an epic scale of, like, wow, he is a horrible, horrible being. Yeah. And, oh, man, yeah, I thought it was, like, one of, if not the best villain thus far in, in this whole universe, for sure. Definitely. They- and also, it sets up Yondu's sort of drive for sacrificing himself to redeem himself, because we know how dark his past was even if he was ultimately unaware of just how dark it was until later but like what we find out about yondu delivering these kids to yeah. ego and 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 ego basically draining them of their life force uh, as he tries to use them as a booster for his power it's like that's so dark and yeah, so man. As, as you say steve like 
he's just this other kind of creature. And it also, it turns Mantis into this interesting character because she's sort of the servant of this evil creature. And she's been keeping his secret, but she's had no choice. I just think the whole thing is like something out of mythology. Yeah, You're being charmed by Kurt Russell giving a really great performance and knowing exactly what kind of movie he's in and knowing exactly how to hit those lines. And also I think having some pretty good dialogue to work with to begin with. I just think that was a a great addition to uh to sort of the mythos of of these characters. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that um in terms of a villain for the Marvel in the Marvel universe, every villain that's come up in this world has just kind of like floated in the sky and said, I'm going to destroy the world and just kind of does it. They don't talk about it very much besides thinking that everybody's inferior. So it is really cool to see a villain change forms to manipulate somebody because he could have just been the planet and destroyed the try to destroy the world. But, you know, the fact that, he, like you said, he took the form of this amazingly charismatic character to lure his son in to do all this stuff is amazing, especially considering there weren't there are none no vid- villains in this world that have used those methods to destroy whatever they're trying to destroy. I mean, I guess the closest thing would be Doctor Strange, and that was just one thing. So that's that's. And I one. would say Doctor Strange did a good job with with p- almost playing that type of villain for laughs you know the sort of ineffectual godlike being um and in this movie dug in and really gave you like a psychological profile on the on the godlike being right right. the the whole movie is a is a monologue basically from the guy yeah and my two my two favorite villains right now are ego and winter soldier okay yeah winter soldier to me was was amazing to me because he was just ruthless he went to a public square and just started shooting and I, i like villains like that i don't like like ones that are just trying to set everything on fire and blow up the world. I like somebody that just kind of works on the ground. And and there's something about Kurt Russell's character that he, you know, he was he was functioning like a normal person for a little bit. Like a like you know, he said he was a god, but he took the form of a human to manipulate them and get them to come in and then destroy. I I thought that was so cool and I just hadn't seen a character that was fleshed out as much as any of, uh, you know, any of the characters in this versus, you know, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Long story short. So best, best villain besides Winter Soldier. Did you see it coming? Did you see it coming that he would be the villain and that Yondu would sacrifice himself to save Peter? Somehow I saw that coming. Like when I heard that, I mean, I'm not complaining. I think it was great. I thought the storyline was great. When I heard that Yondu was going to have an expanded role and that, Ego was going to be Peter's dad, and that it was going to play off of him sort of contrasting the two fathers. I was like, oh, okay, I bet that this movie is all about how Yondu turns out to have been the, you know, following the sort of rule of if a, if an antagonist from the first movie is around in the second movie, he's 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 a friend now. Kind of <laughs> the sort of rule of sequels. I knew that James Gunn loves Michael Rooker, and I thought, well, why wouldn't he try to give him like a great emotional arc in this type of movie? And so, I, as seeing it coming, it made it even more satisfying because I could see that they were doing it. You know, as the movie was going along, it was so clear that they were just painting Yondu as having all this regret and all this awareness of himself, and yet mm-hmm. also a strong. Like a strong uh, observant streak 
And I think that is something Michael Rooker brings, because even on The Walking Dead, where he played a horrible racist asshole, there were moments where he was like perceptive about people and actually got to the heart of an issue when he was discussing something with somebody. And I think that's just something Michael Rooker can do with dialogue. He just has this, there's something in his, there's something soulful in that guy's performances that you can't, you know, you just, it just works for you if the material is good. And in this movie, you know, it, he really had some good material. Yeah. So yeah, Yondu's death, did you think the, the Ravager's funeral at the end was, did you think that was earned? Or did you think it seemed strange that uh, they, di- they didn't do that for the other like 90 Ravagers who, who got thrown out uh, into space <laughs> earlier in the film? I think it was earned. I think it was earned. I think, I think, I guess, I guess I want to, I guess I'll buy on it being earned specifically, mainly because of the fact that he was the one, you know, he's the captain of that crew and he's the one that was you know, disowned for participating with Ego's, you know, plan. I think yeah. that that scene earlier in the film, you know, that while I'm saying that scene kind of felt abruptly ended to me, you know, I get where the setup was with, you know, wanting that affection or wanting that, you know, acceptance of, of being an equal and kind of being kind of thrown to the side and completely like disregarded because of, of a mistake that he had made a long time ago. So I think that that was like a, redemption story for him and and i think it plays out like a true hero story does and usually you know there's some sort of come around and i think that was pretty deserved yeah it actually worked for me emotionally um and i especially enjoyed the moment where craglin uh was was really moved by it. Yeah. you know seeing that yeah. goofy bug eye happy he was but like yeah. see, but seeing how happy and like proud he was that that it happened for yondu and that he was there seeing that totally. that was like uh, oddly affecting and again an example of the kind of thing that james gunn has proven he can do it's one of those movies that seems like it'll be fun to rewatch, and just so full of ideas and lines and and cool visuals we haven't even really talked about the look of it but i, I love that they've taken that sort of day glow color aesthetic to the max definitely yeah definitely well that's our take if you guys uh check out guardians this weekend in theaters make sure you uh stop by the facebook page uh, let us know what you think of it comment on the post that we'll throw up for this on facebook definitely let us know if you agree with us disagree with, with us tell us some you know just your opinion what did you think of volume two um and you can also check us out on the moviesmovie.com which will take you to our podbean page where you can catch up on past episodes and there's always the iTunes option. That is the catch-all. Anybody that listens to podcasts, I'm sure, has some sort of access to iTunes. And if you don't, whatever you prefer to listen to podcasts on, you can surely find Movie Schmovie there. And if you can't, let us know, and we will do all we can to make sure it shows up there for you. Um, if you use iTunes, please like us. Uh, I'm sorry, star us or give us a star rating. Put a comment in there. It helps us out a ton. And uh, that's it for this phone, or as always... You've made our day. Thanks. Bye.